Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Off to a good start. Um, Well, good morning. Hope you're all doing well. Uh, Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be going along with where we are in the Gospel of Mark. Um, kind of going off of what Pastor Pete preached last week. We probably shouldn't have to make too many corrections. He did okay. Um, so um, as you guys are turning there, let me ask you this. Uh, has everything in life worked out exactly as you expected it would? No? Last night they all said it has, so I don't know what's wrong with you guys. Um, but I'm just kidding. Um, no, things don't happen the way we expect them to, do they? I don't think so. They don't for me. Um, yesterday, I expected to get a haircut. I filled out like the online check-in form. I, it said it would be like an hour and a half what, a wait, something like that. So I filled that out and I was waiting at home, waiting for like a text, you know, to say, oh, you know, you can come get a haircut soon. And I looked at my phone after waiting like an hour and a half, two hours and realized I never hit submit. So I didn't get a haircut yesterday, um, which was kind of disappointing, probably more f- for Elizabeth. She probably wanted me to get a haircut more than I did. Um, or like a year ago, I can tell you, I didn't expect that I'd be living in, Wa- uh, not Washington, I don't know why I said that, Oregon. I don't, like I said, off to a pretty rough start, I guess. But I didn't expect to be living in Oregon. Um, but here I am, and the Lord had something different in mind than I probably did. But rarely do our expectations in life get met, right? Whether it's family stuff, uh, work-related things, just life, dreams, ministry-related stuff, Expectations never seem to work out, do they? And in this passage that we're going to be looking in, in Mark 6, I think he addresses that. He addresses our expectations, and especially of what we see to be success, what we expect for success in life. And it challenges us to change our thinking to what God sees as success. And primarily, I think Mark wants to teach us is that followers of Jesus must be faithful to the mission of Jesus, regardless of the results. Followers of Jesus must be faithful to the mission of Jesus, regardless of the results. So we're going to be in Mark 6. I'm going to start in verse 12, and we're going to read a little bit. We're going to read all the way to verse 30. So follow along in your Bibles. Mark 6, 12. So they, the disciples, they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? 
And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and said, and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and the, his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison. And he brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her, her mother. And when the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Let's pray. Dear Father, just thank you for your word. Thank you that you teach us in it. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be here and that you would speak to our hearts, that you convict us, challenge us, encourage us, um, that you would change our thinking to be more like Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I think for us this morning, before we look at what Mark has to say, we need to see how he is saying it, right? And that's why I read verses 12, 13, and 30, because I think it's important we get the context of this story, right? Um, so multiple times throughout the gospel of Mark, he'll do this thing where he kind of like makes a, scholars call it like a sandwich. He'll, he'll make this sandwich well, where he'll introduce a story, he'll start a story, and then he'll go on and talk about a second story. And then after that second story is done, he'll go back and complete the first story. So if you remember a few weeks ago with the story of Jairus and the bleeding woman, he, Mark starts that story, Jesus and Jairus meet. Uh, Jairus says, hey, come heal my daughter, and they go off. And then we get this other story, this other story about this bleeding woman who touches Jesus, he heals her and their interaction. And then Mark comes back around and he finishes the story of Jairus. So he does that multiple times throughout the gospel, and I think he does that again here. But he does that in order, to, in order to like enhance the meaning of the two stories, that we get a meaning that's greater than the sum of the, the individual parts, if you know what I mean. And, um, you know, it, this begins with what we saw last week with Pete's sermon. Jesus gets his disciples together, and he sends them out, and he says, go, preach, you have authority, go heal, go cast out demons, and that's what they do. And then we get this kind of weird story, right, about John the Baptist and Herod. Um, it doesn't really seem to make that much sense. It feels a little out of place. I mean, I know when Pete told me, he's like, hey, you're preaching this passage. I was like, oh, great, thank you. Um, <laughs> this is the easiest passage. Um, it it's almost feels like a weird digression, doesn't really make sense. But at the end of it, Mark comes back around to that first story and about how the apostles come back to Jesus and they tell him all the things that they had done. And so we have to look at this, this passage of Herod, this passage about John the Baptist and him, in that context, right? We need that context, and we need to put those stories together. And I think Mark wants us to compare them and compare the disciples, compare John the Baptist. And I think when we do that, we get, we get a picture about what it means to be a follower of Christ, what it means to be a successful follower of Jesus. And so let's go back through the story really quick, um, just to give us a little more context. Um, so last week, again, we saw Jesus gets his disciples together, says, all right, you guys have authority in my name. Go out, preach, heal, cast out demons, do all that stuff. You know, if, they're not gonna, if they don't accept you, uh, shake the dirt off and just move on to the next town, move on to the next house. And so that's what the disciples do. They go, they preach, they do all that stuff. They have authority, and they're successful at that, right? In verse 12, it says they, or 13, excuse me, it says that he cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they were pretty successful. And then it goes on and says that Herod actually heard about this. In verse 14, Herod hears about what the disciples are doing. And some people are saying, oh, this is probably John the Baptist who's been raised from the dead. He's doing these miracles again. 
Um, and then some people are saying it's probably Elijah or probably one of those other prophets from the Old Testament times. Um, and so they, the, these are people's ideas, and uh, Herod just agrees with that first. He says, yeah, it's probably John the Baptist, which, I mean, he said, yeah, but I beheaded him. So it doesn't really explain Herod's thought process there. It doesn't really make much sense to me, but that's what he thinks. He thinks, yeah, this must be John the Baptist, the guy that I beheaded. And so Mark goes into this whole backstory about when he actually did that. And so apparently, you know, Herod uh, was not a great guy. He married his brother's wife, which was not a good move. And John the Baptist said that, right? He spoke out against Herod. He said, hey, that is not lawful for you to do. You probably shouldn't be doing that. Herod throws him in prison. But actually, look at verse 20. It says that he knew John was a righteous and a holy man. So he had respect for the guy, at least. And then it even says when he heard him or when Herod listened to John, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So I think Herod even, he listened to John's teaching, he listened to John's preaching, and he gladly listened. He didn't, you know, he didn't just kind of reject what John was saying. He didn't think John was the worst guy ever for speaking out against him, but he still throws him in prison, even though his wife wants to kill John, right? And then the story just, it gets weirder, right? probably noticed that as I was reading. The story gets weirder. Herod throws this party. There's these leaders, these rulers there. Um, there's some, you know, his uh, niece slash uh, stepdaughter is like dancing, and, you know, he says um, that he'll give her whatever she wants, right? I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Uh, she goes to her mom, and her mom says, okay, go ask for the head of John the Baptist, um, which is probably not what that, what she wanted, but that's what her mom said to do. And so she does that. She goes back to Herod. She says, hey, give me the head of John the Baptist. Herod uh, doesn't really have much of a backbone because he says he's afraid because of his oaths and because of the people that are there. He has the fear of man, so he's pretty afraid about that. And he goes and he has John the Baptist killed. And then it says uh, his disciples came. John the Baptist's disciples come. They take his body. They go bury him. And then Again, Mark comes back around, and he says, and the disciples returned to Jesus. They returned to him and told him everything that they had taught. So what, what is the point of this story, right? What is the point of the story of John the Baptist? Because you could read from verse 13 to verse 30, and it would be pretty seamless, right? I mean, there wouldn't be much of a break in the story. And so what is the point of putting these two stories together? Again, I think it gives us a picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I think Mark has a primary point in this passage, and I think there's a secondary point that we'll get to later, but primarily he wants to teach us about what it means to be a successful follower, a successful disciple of Christ, because he keeps coming back to that again and again throughout this, this, this uh, gospel. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be his disciple? And what does it mean to be a successful one? And so primarily, I think Mark wants to teach us is that Jesus' followers must be faithful. Jesus' followers must be faithful. And if I would ask you, and I said, okay, who, when you look at all the Gospels, who is like the most faithful, the most obedient servant of Christ? Who is the one who just gets it, who knows what he's doing, who has a lot of faith, demonstrates that? I think John the Baptist would be a pretty good answer, right? Right from the beginning, when, right from when we first see him, he knows he's the forerunner to Christ. You know, he says, he must increase, I must decrease. He knows his role. He knows he's a servant of Jesus. He's He's not trying to take power like some of the disciples are doing. He doesn't do any of that. He gets it. But what about the disciples, right? Did they demonstrate a lot of faith throughout the gospel? 
I don't know, I don't think they do. You know, think a few chapters ago, we looked at the story of when they're, they're on a boat on the, on the Sea of Galilee, and there's this storm, and they're freaking out, right? They're freaking out. They have no idea what's going on. They wake Jesus up, and he calms the storm. He calms it, and he says, guys, where is your faith? What is wrong with you? <laughs> and then um, even the, uh, the story I just mentioned, that story of the bleeding woman, she touches Jesus, he heals her, and he's, he stops, and he says, hey, who touched me here? And the disciples, if you look, they start to make fun of Jesus pretty much. They start to mock him and say, what are you talking about? Come on, there's a big crowd here. What do you mean who touched you? And I, went, I was going through the Gospel of Mark, and I can hardly find any good examples of when the disciples were really faithful and obedient. There's not many examples. I mean, they don't really look too good. They don't come off too good when you read the Gospels, right? But Jesus chooses them to go to preach his good news, to heal people, to cast out demons. They're not really prepared. They haven't really proven themselves, but he chooses this group of men to go fulfill his mission. And that's what Jesus does again and again, right? He chooses, he chooses groups of people we wouldn't expect. He takes people that we would not expect to be successful, and he uses them for his purposes. And I think we have to ask ourselves, the disciples, they were clearly successful, right? It says that they were successful in verse 13. They come back and tell Jesus about all the great things that they did. But was John the Baptist successful? Was he successful for what Christ called him to do? Because I think he was. And I think when we put these two stories together, Mark asks us to compare the disciples, to compare John the Baptist, and ask, what do we see as success? I think they were both successful in their missions because ultimately, both groups of men were faithful to what God had for them, regardless of where it took them. And when it comes to following Jesus, we need to put in check our expectations for success Disciples of Christ must be faithful to the mission God has placed on them, regardless of the outcome. By any human standard, I don't think we would say that John the Baptist was a successful man, right? He was pretty poor, um, lived in obscurity, lived in the wilderness for a lot of his life. He had no money, not many followers, really. He ended up in prison for the last days of his life and was eventually beheaded by this, this cowardly ruler, right? He, he wasn't very successful by any sort of human standard. But, you know, compared to him, the disciples, they had it made, right? They're out here exercising demons, healing people, preaching the gospel, seeing people respond. You know, you read into the book of Acts. I mean, the disciples were really successful, right, by human standards. The first, you know, first Sunday, Peter preaches, 3,000 people, boom, new megachurch, right, like, right there. <laughs> the first Sunday on Pentecost. They were pretty successful by human standards, right? They had it made. They're like the pastors that are out here preaching at conferences, getting book deals, podcasts with downloads, you know. That's who the disciples were in their day, pretty much. And if, you know, it just, it, by human standards, we're like, wow, these guys really had it made. But we're, again, were they more successful in their mission than, than John the Baptist was in his? Because I don't think so. I think all, I don't even know if it's right to talk about it this in terms of success, you know what I mean? Because ultimately, both John, both these disciples, they ultimately ended up being faithful to the mission that God had for them. Their success wasn't determined by numbers. It wasn't determined by how many people they baptized or how many people put their hand up in a service and responded. It wasn't determined by how many people knew their name when they died. Um, Their success was determined by their faithfulness to what Christ had called them to do. And, you know, I think about John the Baptist, and it's like, man, I feel like, oh, God could have used him in so many more ways. If he was alive during the early church, he would have been such an asset to the early church. But God had a different plan. And it doesn't make sense to me when I read the Gospels. I'm like, how in the world did God use 
this bunch of lo- these bunch of losers called, that we call the apostles, right? <laughs> How did he end up using these guys? But he does. The way God use, uses people does not always make sense to us, does it? He uses ungifted, unskilled, awkward people to do good things for the mission of Jesus. He uses skilled people as well, but ultimately, I think we all recognize he never uses us in ways that we would expect. It's never what we would expect. And like John, like the disciples, we don't get to choose where we serve. We don't get to always choose who we serve, what our giftings are, what our qualifications are, or ultimately what the results are. But we can choose to be obedient. We can choose to be faithful. And we can choose to serve in whatever way God calls us to. I think the Apostle Paul said it well in 1 Corinthians 4. Don't worry about turning there. But he says, This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. It is required that we would be found faithful. Right? As stewards of the gospel, it is required that we would be faithful. Not required that we would bring in numbers in our ministry endeavors. Not required that we would have the picture-perfect family because we said all the right things as our kids were growing up. It is required that we would be found faithful. So again, let me just ask you, in every area of your life, what sort of success are you looking for when it comes to family? Um, do you expect to see, you know, per- have the perfect spouse and the perfect kids? Because again, you said the right things, you did the right things, and you expect to control the outcome. And now it's like, hey, why is my family not looking perfect? Why do they not look the way I want them to? Didn't I do the right things? Didn't I do what God wanted me to do? We don't control the outcome. We don't control results. We just seek to be faithful. Or maybe there's some ministry in church uh, here that you're involved with, and it's like, man, why is this not growing? Or, hey, this is growing. Why am I not getting any recognition for doing this? Are you just seeking to be faithful? Or maybe you have some people on your circle card, or maybe it's just your mental circle card, uh, and you talk to them about Jesus, and it's like talking to a brick wall, right? And you think, wow, well, I shared the gospel. I gave it a, gave it a good shot. I've done all I can. My hands, are, my hands are free, God. I guess, you know, I don't have to worry about this person anymore. Off the circle card, they go. Are you faithful and active and obedient to the mission of Jesus? That is what we are called to. To the spread of Christ and in, in his name in every area of our lives. We don't control results. We can't control how other people can respond. We can't even control our own outcome. Because ultimately, how did the disciples end up, Right? They ended up like John the Baptist, right? Most of them all died deaths like his, or they lived in exile until they died. They all ended up pretty much the same way. And as, you know, as we follow Jesus, we can't control the outcomes. We can't control the results of what we do. We can simply choose to be faithful to what God has placed in front of us. And we can choose to find joy, joy and contentment in the fact that we're not sovereign, that we don't have control, that we are not sovereign over our circumstances, over our backgrounds, over our limits, our giftings, anything like that. We're not sovereign over those things. And so we can simply choose to be faithful to what God has gifted us with. And so what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus here in this passage? I, I think it means to be faithful. It means to trust in the Lord's sovereignty to accomplish all that he wants to, all that he will accomplish. He will do it. He doesn't require of us to... Um, you know, to cause the growth. We water, we plant, but the Lord is the one who brings the growth. I know I like to be in control. I like to think I'm in control of the results of the things I do, you know. Um, you know, the students aren't in here, but I can think, wow, I'm going to teach, say the right things. They're going to grow up in middle school or high school. I can say the right things at the right times, and boom, by the time they graduate, they're going to be perfect because I molded in that way. And 
You know, I've only been here three months, so maybe it will happen like that, but, you know, I kind of doubt it. I doubt that that's going to happen. And I, that's freeing. I'm not in control. The Lord is. He is the sovereign one, and I can just be faithful to what he's called me to do today. And I think, that, I think that's what Mark wants to teach us. But uh, I guess it's up there. So there's a secondary point as well, and it's that hearing is not believing. Hearing is not believing. And what I, let me explain what I mean by that. Look at verse 14 again. So back in verses 12 and 13, again, we've talked about this. Disciples, they do their thing. They're successful. And somehow it gets back to Herod, right? It says in verse 14, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. So Herod, he hears about Jesus, hears about the miracles, the preaching, the things the disciples are doing. Um, he hears about this guy named Jesus. Um, but is there any indication in the text that Herod ever believed? Because I don't, I don't think there is. It doesn't look like it to me. And look over at verse 20 again. It's at the end of verse 20, when Herod heard him, John the Baptist, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So Herod also listened to John the Baptist. Back when John the Baptist was in prison and when he was preaching, when he was doing his ministry, doing his thing, Herod listened to John the Baptist. He heard him. And who did John the Baptist preach about? Who was John the Baptist's ministry all about? It was about Jesus, right? He knew that he was the forerunner of Christ, that he was coming to point forward to the Messiah. And so Herod must have heard about Christ. He must have heard about Jesus. He must have heard John talk about this Lamb of God who would come to take away the sins of the world. And then Jesus actually comes, and his disciples are doing all these things. And that gets back to Herod. And there was no indication that he ever had any faith. No indication that he ever believed. No response, no repentance. Everything John said would happen was happening. He heard the message multiple times, and he never believed. I think this is confirmed over in Mark 8. So maybe flip a page over, if you would, to Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 14. Jesus is with his disciples, and Mark says in Mark 8, 14, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, the disciples, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he, Jesus, cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, he talks about the leaven of the Pharisees is that they won't believe. They require these signs, these wonders, these miracles. They refuse to have faith. They refuse to believe. And so I think the leaven of Herod is the same thing. He refused to believe. He refused to have faith. Although he heard the message multiple times, he refused to have faith. Even when Jesus comes onto the scene, even when everything John said would be true, came true, and the disciples were out there preaching the name of Christ, spreading his name, it gets back to Herod. All that stuff is happening. He hears it, and he never believes. It doesn't say he outright rejected it. It says he liked to listen to John, right? He thought John had nice things to say. And then he hears all this, and there's just no response. There's no faith. And so um, let me speak to you this morning. If you're here, you're hearing that message too. To some extent, this is the message that Herod heard, that, that God created us good to have a relationship with him, to know him, to love him, to worship him. And in our sin, in our rebellion, in our worship of ourselves, we've rejected that, right? We've rejected God. We've chosen ourselves, and we've lost that relationship with him. We actually deserve judgment. We deserve punishment for that, but, but in his love for us, God sent his son. He sent his son to come to live a perfect life and to die a death of, of substitution and of sacrifice for us, and then three days later to rise from the dead so that we can be right with God again. That is the message that is what we call the gospel. That is why we come here to church every single week. 
And to some extent, this is what Herod heard. But the problem is the gospel demands a response. It demands repentance. It demands faith. It demands us to turn away from ourselves, to quit trusting in ourselves, and put our trust and our belief in God, in Jesus who came to save us. And unless we do that, it doesn't matter. We can just hear the gospel all day long. We can come here to church week in, week out, hear the gospel, say, oh, that, pa- that, that pastor had nice things to say this week. I thought that was really encouraging. Um, whatever. We can do all that. And maybe, you know, maybe you've been here a long time and you've heard the gospel many times, but you've never responded. Or maybe you're here, maybe there's someone who's here for the first time and they're wondering what we're doing, what we are all about here at church. And that's what we're about. We're, we're here because of the gospel. Or maybe you're watching online and you have those, those same sorts of questions, but the gospel demands a response, does it not? It demands us to ask ourselves, do we believe this? Are we willing to turn from our sins and to turn and place our trust in this one named Jesus? This one that Herod heard about, but he never responded to. You can't just ignore the gospel. Maybe you don't reject it, but you can't just ignore it either. It's like going to, it's like going to a doctor and they tell you you have cancer. It would be pretty foolish to say, no way, doctor. You know, they show you the scans. They show you everything. You say, no way, doc. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, I don't have cancer. That would be pretty stupid, right? Maybe I shouldn't use that word. Sorry. Maybe it's a bad word. Um, you might say, hey, you're pretty stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. That's pretty foolish, right? But wouldn't it be just as foolish to hear what the doctor has to say and to say, hey, thanks for letting me know. It's really nice to hear that. And then go on and live your life like he never gave you that diagnosis. That's just as foolish, isn't it? And I think it's the same thing when it comes to hearing the gospel, right? Ignoring it is rejecting it. We have to respond to it. And responding in ignorance or responding in, ah, I'm just going to listen to it and not do anything with this, is the same thing as rejecting Jesus. And so, it, you know, if you're here and you just have questions, what does it mean to, re- res- to respond to Christ? What does it mean to have repentance? What does it mean to believe? Talk to someone here you trust this morning. Talk to, you know, one of the elders. Talk to Kevin. Talk to me. But the gospel demands a response from us. And so, as we, you know, as we close out, let me ask you believers, what are you seeking as success in your lives? In every area of life, what do you, what do you expect? What do you see as success? Are you content with whatever results happen in your family? Whatever results happen in any ministry endeavor you're involved in? Whatever happens at work with people that you're trying to witness to? Are you content to let the Lord be sovereign and to just be faithful? Do you find, and do you find joy in that? I think that's the hard thing, is finding joy in the fact that we're not in control. And again, if you're here this morning, and maybe you're just hearing that gospel message, but you've never responded, just talk to someone. Talk to someone about what it means, and ask yourself, what are you going to do with Jesus? Because you've heard, I mean, if you're listening, (laughs) you've heard. And so, the gospel demands a response from us. So, I, I hope that we would all seek that, that we would seek to be active faithful followers of Christ, whatever he's called us to. We're not the ones in control. We're not the ones who are sovereign, but we can be glad and worship the one who is. Amen? So let me pray, and we'll probably sing another song, and then we'll get out of here. So, dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that, um, that you are the one who's in control. You're the one who's in charge, and we are not, God. And it is so, it's so joyful to know that you control the outcome. You control the results, and we just choose to be faithful. I pray that we would choose to be faithful. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has never responded to the gospel message, that they would, that they would do so, that they would maybe talk to someone who can help them understand what that means. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.